get involved. I really encourage you to get involved. Otherwise, this is what this pastor hears from time to time. Yeah, you know, I go to the church, but I don't really know a whole lot of people. So then my question is, well, what have you been doing to get to know a whole lot of people? Well, I kind of show up, you know, a little late on Sundays and leave a little early on Sundays. And well, okay, I think we've, I think we've figured it out. You got to be around. Got to be around. Imagine a family where a family member just kind of pops in late for dinner and then pops out before dinner's over. That's all you see of them. How close are you actually going to be as a family? So just to encourage you, there's no condemnation there. I just, I just want to see you connect in maybe ways you haven't before. So we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew this morning. Matthew chapter 12. Oh, let's see, what letter are we on? I think we're on G. Matthew 12, G. Yes, that's right. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Yes, so this is our seventh study in the 12th chapter of Matthew. And I was like, this is going to be our last study. And three verses into it, I was like, I'm at five pages. I can't. We're, we're, we're here, we're at. So we're going to do one more next Sunday. We'll finish out, Lord willing, we're going to finish out chapter 12 of Matthew next Sunday. But we're going to be in Matthew 12, verse 43 through 45. It's been quite a chapter. I mean, you know, you don't spend seven weeks in a single chapter for no reason. We've seen opposition coming against Jesus this whole chapter. They question him on like, well, you know, what is the Sabbath? When is the Sabbath? What does the Sabbath look like? So Jesus describes what the Sabbath is. Then there was um, uh, accusations that Jesus is doing these miracles by the power of Satan. And so Jesus, you know, proved them wrong by just taking him on a logical path down, down a progression here and said, no, that's not true. Then they said to, to delay the tactic now, now that they, they know who Jesus is, they know, they just don't want to accept it. So then what do they do? Last week we saw this. They said, Jesus, do a trick for us, do a sign. And they didn't care about the fact that he was just talking about their own hearts. They decided to pivot on that point and deflect and then just say, hey, uh, do something amazing. I need one more thing. I need you to do one more thing for me and then I'll really believe you. Yeah, right. So Jesus says, I'm not going to give you any sign. You've already had a sign. And he talked about Jonah. And we looked in the Old Testament story of Jonah. So we now find ourselves in verse 43. And Jesus is going to directly address these Pharisees. This morning, I'm going to make some statements here that I want to say this right now. That is not meant to unsettle you in your salvation in Christ. If you are a believer, you are a believer. If you are not a believer, you are not a believer. There is no gray area in between. You are or you aren't. I'm not here to cause somebody who is a believer to suddenly go, oh no, maybe I've lost my salvation. No, no, no. Your salvation isn't based on your efforts. It's based on the work on the cross, which last time I checked, it was effective and Jesus did it. And so this morning's message, though, should make every person, though, consider for just a moment, why am I a Christian, if you are a Christian? And if you're not a Christian, why am I not a Christian? Because Jesus is going to speak to some people who look very religious, but are not believers. And they've got a lot of people fooled. The other thing that we're going to look at this morning, and you probably saw, it's a little bit of a dramatic cover on the bulletin and screen, but um, the title of this morning's message is, You Can't Fix Yourself. You Can't Fix Yourself. I don't know if you've ever broken something, and then you got to the point where you thought, Can I fix this? I remember a story, it was a, one of our friends, a contractor in Arizona, and he was working on one of the pastor's houses. 
and he was, uh, I, I don't know what he was, oh, 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 it was, um, there was a bunch of rocks and uh, boulders kind of a thing, and so they needed to remove the boulders, and he had his heavy equipment there, but he decided to use some explosives to um, <laughs> loosen some of the rocks, right, so that it'd be easier for the backhoe to, yeah, so it's Arizona, it's like the Wild West out there, so, um, so he, he put some explosives, dynamite, let's call it, and uh, kaboom, and like, you know, any, you know, grown-up child, that's a the man, it's like, yay, like it was great, except as that explosion happened, a, a large rock went airborne and started to travel to the neighbor's house, <laughs> and, and put a hole in their roof, it was like a meteor came out of the sky and like landed in their house. And so they were gone for some extended period of time, like some vacation or something. So the contractor was like, went over. The hole was big enough. He was able to get into the house, <laughs> unlock the front door. And in the less than a week that he had, like he had a few days before they were coming back, uh, both patched the roof, the ceiling, the floor, <laughs> and got out. <laughs> and has a great story to tell. And when standing at that one pastor's house, you know, and the contractor's over there, he goes, if, what's that? Did he get the rock? Oh, I'm sure he got the rock out. Yeah, no, once you come home from your vacation, you go, why is there a rock in the middle of my house? <laughs> and so he, uh, you know, so when we were over at the pastor's house, he kind of looked over and goes, you see that one, see that, those, those roof, those, those shingles right there that are little, they look a little newer? Mm-hmm, they are. <laughs> and so it's just one of those, like, stories. These stories where you've broken something and you're just like, I can fix it. Now, the reality is, most of the time, it doesn't work as well as with the story I just told you. Usually it works with the contractor stuck halfway through the hole as the owner comes through the door. <laughs> or something even worse than that. You know, we've definitely, I think every one of us, if you've lived long enough, you've done something where as you did it, you go, oh no, I've done something really bad. And then for maybe a split second, maybe for a few seconds, you go, can I fix this with no one knowing? Uh, there's this author, he writes great poems, Shel Silverstein, and he has this book. And it's the, the title of this book is just a great one. I think we, get, we got this here. It's called I Have a Plan. It's I Have a Plan. And I love the cover of this book. It's like, oh, no, or now here's my plan. And it's, it's subtitled A Book of Futilities by Shel Silverstein. And it's two guys that are chained up and one of them says, now here's my plan. Well, um, how is that going to work? It's not. And how many times have you found yourself or have I found myself in a place where we've, we're now dealing with the consequences of our actions and we see a way out and we're like, okay, I got it. I got it. Except the reality is it's not going to really work that way. We say we have a plan, but we're not going to figure it out. In fact, what may happen is, maybe you've experienced this, you make it worse. You've messed something up, and now you try to fix it so that nobody will know, so that you don't have to ask anybody else for help, so you can figure it out by yourself and be that self-sufficient man or woman, and yet you make it worse, and now everybody's got a story to tell about you. I know I've done it, and I'm sure you have as well. Jesus is going to speak to that and he's going to specifically speak towards the Pharisees about how they are like men who are chained up because of their own sin, because of their own pride, because of their own, oh, 
wanting people to think how important they are. And they go, we got a plan to get out of this. And rather than ask Jesus to help them and to unshackle them and to free them, they instead try to be futile, futile like these guys here and try to get out. And there's no way that they're going to get out in their own strength. So the title of this morning's message is You Can't Fix Yourself. Um, we're going to be in Matthew 12, verse 43 through 45. Let's pray. Papa, as we come before you this morning, every one of us, if we just do a little bit of roll the tape back in our head, we can definitely remember times where we were wrong, so wrong. We messed up so badly. It was our fault so completely. And then we tried to patch it up. Father, I pray this morning as we read your word, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through me and I pray every one of us would understand where we stand with you with clarity. I pray that this would not cause the believer to doubt their salvation, but I also pray, Lord, that this would not cause the unbeliever to falsely think that they are saved. Lord, we just pray for reality and clarity as to where we stand with the most incredible person ever, God with you. Thank you for desiring to make it clear for us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's read a couple of verses here. Three verses. Matthew 12, starting at verse 43. Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, to the group as well. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. Now, we called them evil and adulterous just a few verses earlier. And if you're just kind of joining us since your kind of first Sunday and you're going, whoa, how are we here on this three verses in Matthew? We've been studying through Matthew for the last year and a half. And we've been seeing Jesus speaking. Sometimes if you take the Bible, just a verse here or there, a passage here or there, you can go, man, Jesus is being harsh. Or this is like, I don't know why he'd be like this to people. No, he has been sharing with them. He's been doing miracles before them and they just have a hard heart. They don't want to believe him for who he says he is. So Jesus is comparing this gen- that generation to a demon-possessed person. That's the unclean spirit that's being talked about here. I mean, Jesus desires, when he does a change in a person's life, he's desiring to do a long-term change in their life, not some short-term, you know, quick fix. Jesus is there to do a rebuilding in a person's life. You know, the Bible tells us how hard it is to actually change ourselves. Like the idea that I'm going to change myself. I'm going to reinvent myself. Yeah, putting a new coat of paint on the barn doesn't make stop it from being a barn. Okay. And it doesn't change anything that's on the inside of it. You just threw a new coat of paint on the outside. The Bible tells us how hard it can be for us to change ourselves. In Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 23, the prophet Jeremiah wrote, Can an Ethiopian change the color of his skin? Having very dark skin. Can an Ethiopian change the color of their skin, make it lighter? Can a leopard take away its spots? Again, some phrases you may hear in society. I wonder where they come from. The Bible. Neither can you start doing good, for you have always done evil. Clearly, this verse is not saying that Ethiopians or leopards are evil. 
it's saying how difficult it is to change something like that. So too, so too, neither can you start doing good because you have always done evil. For the person who practices lawlessness, for the person who practices um, uh, turning away from God, hardening their heart from God, to just go, you know what? I'm just going to turn my heart towards God. I'm just going to do it in my own strength. No, you're not. You're so well trained and practiced in not doing the things of God. What makes you think you can suddenly flip a switch in your life and then you're just going to be, you know, Mr. or Mrs. Spiritual, like it's just going to happen that way. And so that's the reality of things. I can't just start doing good. I mean, on the outside, yes, you can do all the, like I said, painting the barn. You can do all the surface stuff that looks good, but you haven't changed anything inside of you. And the Bible is actually going to tell us, and Jesus is going to make the point here, the person who just puts a new coat of paint on the outside without changing anything on the inside is actually worse off than a person who just didn't paint the outside at all. Because at least the outside represents the inside. At least there's an honesty that's involved there. In verse 43, when Jesus was speaking there, unclean spirits demons, fallen angels. He's speaking about something of another realm and another realm of existence, another dimension of existence here. And the word unclean there could be translated as filthy, disgusting, or dangerous. When a filthy, disgusting, dangerous spirit has gone out of a person. Oh, you know, it may be masqueraded as an angel of light or something that's great and wonderful, but their true nature is filthy, disgusting, and dangerous. And you see that they can possess, we see this in the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, you see that these demons can possess bodies, human bodies, as well as animals. And how does that happen? We don't know how that happens. The Bible doesn't tell us how it happens. The Bible tells us that it does happen, that it has happened. But it gives us a little bit of insight. Jesus here speaking, if somebody's going to speak about the spiritual realm and for me to go, I'm going to be taking some notes, it's going to be God himself. And Jesus himself gives us a little insight on these demonic spirits, these fallen angels, these demons. In verse 43, it says that when they've gone out of a person, they pass through waterless places, dry places, seeking rest. It's an interesting thing. They look for rest. They're not finding rest though, but they're looking for it. Rebellion from God. It's like, oh, I feel so great. My life is wonderful. I'm free now. You're not free. You're a prisoner. For these fallen angels, these demons, to make the willful choice. They were in the presence of God and in the, to make a willful choice to go, no, I don't want you to be the ruler of me. Well, now they've got rest. They're free from God. They can finally do what they want. Jesus tells us right here, they're continually looking for rest. They will not find rest. Nothing permanent, nothing eternal. And it says right there, verse 43, they go through waterless places seeking rest, but find none. It's like they're going door to door, knocking on all the houses on the block to hopefully find a house where, oh, look, nobody's home so that they can kick the door in and invade the house and not just invade the house, but become squatters where all of a sudden they're living in the house and eating the food in the fridge and all of that stuff. And what Jesus is describing here is a demon possessed person. We're not talking about a Christian in this passage right here. We're talking about a person who's demon possessed, but hey, this is good. The demon has left this person. How could that have happened? Well, for any number of reasons, somebody could have prayed for them. It could have been one of the people that Jesus cast a demon out of. 
And so great, the demon's gone, the house is empty again, and the demon goes out and about, out and about and wandering. Where, is they, where are they wandering? Some spiritual dimension, something like that. Verse 44, look at this. Then it says, the unclean, filthy, dangerous demon spirit says, because they can't find rest, I will return to my house from which I came. Whoa, my house? Oh yeah, I'm taking, I, that's my ownership. I'm taking ownership over that person. I left for a little while. Again, maybe exercised or cast out of a person or maybe simply a free choice going, ah, this person's a total jerk. I'm going to find somebody better. This person has, I've kind of sucked them dry of everything that they've got. They're a miserable wretch now. Time to go find somebody that's good pickings here. I'm going to go try to find some good religious person who thinks they're great. I'm going to go knock on their door. Oh, look, it's empty. Ah, the outside of this house is wonderful, but no one's actually living in it. Great. I'm going to go in there. So maybe this unclean spirit that Jesus is talking about had already had its time with one person, went around looking for another person, couldn't find anybody, and decided to go, I'm going to go back to my house. Wow, that's a huge statement. For demons to say, oh, if nobody's living in that house, guess what? <laughs> First dibs, I'll call ownership on that, I'm taking that. And I hope you realize when we talk about a house, we're talking about a person's life. That's the house we're actually talking about. Jesus is giving us a look behind the veil into the spiritual world here. And then it says, I'm going to return to the house which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house. Look at this, empty, swept, and put in order. Look at this picture. Look at this picture of this model house here. Wow, just amazing. So not like life. So not real. I mean, you know, you... You just, oh, it's just great. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. You know, you just kind of look. I'm like, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's why I think Ikea can be so appealing because you end up walking through Ikea and you're just like, I can see my house like this. Yeah, but nobody's living in that. Like, that's not reality. Welcome to Disneyland. Like, it's not real. So you're there and you're just like, yeah, yeah, this little throw rug, super shaggy rug. I love it. Try vacuuming. Try cleaning that rug. That's a pain. Ask me how I know. Anyway, so, you know, it's that idea like these picture frames, these are awesome. You know, these are great frames. I'm just going to keep these families in there. They look so happy. We'll just put these families on my wall. And uh, and so you get a whole bunch of stuff. You pack your car. It's all flat packed. So you can pack as much as you want. And then you drive from, Sa- I'm sorry, I'm venting here. Then you drive from Sacramento and you get here. And then you're like, oh, it's going to take me four days to put all the stuff together because it doesn't come assembled. And so, all right, so then you're like, why did I do this? And then, I mean, you kind of look at it and go, I did want it just like the catalog. Oh, I got it. So you want your fake plants in not water, but clear acrylic liquid that's hardened, like over there. Is that what you want? And then you want like four meaningless items on a table that never get used because they're just decorations. I mean, like... I'm sorry, we're being real here. I'm just saying like, and so then, and if you have any children, white is a very impractical color to paint your walls. Okay, sorry, where were we? So the demon comes back. Speaking of coming back, let's come back to where we're, let's get back to the Bible here. So the demon comes back and will you know it? He comes back to the place to his house and he comes in. What does he see? He sees it like this. He sees it all nice. And he's like, oh, you cleaned yourself up. Awesome! You went to rehab. Good for you. Oh yeah, yeah. You lost some pounds. I like it. I like how you've I like what you've done with my place. 
I like what you've done with my place. You know, it was, it wasn't this nice when I first got here and I totally trashed it. I wrecked it. But then I left because I got tired of you. But now I come back and look what you've done. You've improved yourself. You've fixed yourself. Oh, that's so great. We have to admit this, that being demon-free is better than being demon-possessed. I think that's an easy statement to make and to agree on. But just because you're free from your sins or your demons, just realize that that's temporary. Just because there's a lull in the chaos of your life doesn't mean that the source of the issue has been fixed. And then you may even think, I'm going to just fix myself up. I'm going to do some stuff here and I'm a better person. I'm more moral and trustworthy and truthful. You know, my, my, my uh, triglycerides are low and my body fat's lower and I'm just feeling healthy and I'm working out. The problem is someone has the key to the door and they can come in whenever they want. How many times do you hear that phrase? You know, they couldn't, this person, you know, they died this death. They just couldn't overcome their demons. I don't think that's just a phrase, honestly. Jesus doesn't think that's just a phrase. And so you just go, oh, I'm free now, though. You don't understand. I'm free. I don't have the pain, the horror, the heartache in my life anymore. Just because you'd have an absence of it for a little while doesn't mean that it's been fixed. So, you know, the idea of New Year's resolutions, you know, rehab, the addiction, I'm going to go to, I'm going to do some self-cleansing through my own willpower, group counseling, all that other stuff. I'm not saying that changes can't happen. I'm not saying that we can't move the furniture around and vacuum the rugs and, you know, wipe down the windows. I'm just saying that that's not the, the permanent solution. And it doesn't leave the door locked. The door's still available to be open. Listen, if you struggle with alcoholism and and for you, you know, being sober for X number of days, months, years is a reality. I just want to say that's a great thing. And I never want to take that away from you. But I do want to make a statement that's true. Sobriety is not salvation. It's not salvation. Well, I, I'm not doing drugs anymore. That's good. That's good. And that's not salvation. I don't cuss anymore. It's good. And it's not salvation. I'm living my life more morally now. That's not salvation. Jesus didn't come here to this earth to reform sinners. Jesus came to transform them from the inside out. So there's a danger with changing the paint color on the outside of the barn or moving around the furniture or dusting up here or there and actually thinking that we fixed ourselves because we haven't. You know, in the Bible, we see Jesus, um, we've seen it in Matthew, where he's healed demon-possessed people. And so then, maybe the thought is, well, he healed the demon-possessed person, so now that person is automatically saved. They're a Christian. No. No, not having a demon in you doesn't mean that you're saved. It just means you don't have a demon in you. Every person that has been freed from demon possession has to still make the choice that every human being has to make, which is where do you stand with Jesus? Wait, Jim, are you saying that somebody could be demon possessed, be healed by Jesus from demon possession, but then not choose Jesus? I'm saying easily that could happen. You know why? Here's the illusion. Oh, my life's miserable. I've just, ah, I just, ah, the voices and the, ah, I just, it's gone. 
I asked Jesus. I asked him to help me. It's gone. It is, and, it, and it's a reality. Like it actually is gone. All right. Whew. No one's in me anymore. This is great. Jesus, thank you. I just needed a quick boost. I just needed a little bit of you. I don't need a whole bunch of you. I, you know, I went to church a few times, prayed really hard, sang a couple songs with my hands raised even. I even volunteered at that care home and I came to a prayer meeting or two. I did it just long enough so that that demon would be gone, but now I'm good. Thank you, Jesus, for the boost, but I got it from here. That person is not saved. Their house has just been spiffed up. Which means... If Jesus is not occupying, then demons are free to live within a person. Wait, 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 wait. Stop. Hold on, stop. What, what, do you, what, do you, what do you mean? I mean, just because you're clean on the inside doesn't mean that you're occupied or full of God. Some people don't want fellowship with God. They don't want God to live within them. They just want God to patch them up so that they can keep living their own selfish life. I want to show you a picture of a house, not the same one that we saw, but this is kind of what Jesus was talking about, what happens afterwards. How you doing? How's your life going? Are you better? Things looked really clean there for a little while. I mean, you know, when I look at pictures like this, you do realize that at some point this was all new. At some point, someone carefully hung those doors and those windows there. This furniture was thought about and purchased. There's a stuffed animal on the shelf there. Somebody bought that new. All of these things were new at one point. And yet they can become this. Jesus is not accidentally using the image of a house. And so for a house to start off like that Ikea perfect catalog and go, hey, look, I look, I fixed myself. I'm good. I, I vacuumed and everything. Well, Verse 45, let's read it, and we'll leave this image up on the screen. Then it goes, who, what's it, that demon? The one that was like, hey, I came back, and man, the house is looking awesome. Verse 45, then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. Jesus is just telling us how the spiritual world works. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So, it, so will it be with this evil generation. Jesus is saying, you actually thought a coat of paint and vacuuming the carpet was going to be it. And he goes, you actually have ended up worse now than you were when you first started. This is what changing your outside or this um, external spiritual spirituality, this is what it leads you to. Because it doesn't change anything on the inside. Yeah, it looks good on Facebook and it makes good Instagram feeds where you're like, look at this, look at my changes, look how great I am, got out of rehab, did this thing, feeling better. It's funny, I never heard Jesus anywhere in there. Never, I hear a lot about what you've done. I hear a lot about, I see a lot of what, where's Jesus though in that? Because here's the danger. It could all just be external fixer-upper stuff and there's nothing inside that's actually been changed. And worse yet, the door has been left open for the first time the person came in and wrecked it. And now that demon's gonna come back in again. Some people honestly want Jesus to be the house cleaner, but they don't want Jesus to stay. They want Jesus to come in and be like, my life's a wreck. Jesus, can you come in and can you just fix some stuff up? Oh, by the way, Jesus, before you start fixing stuff up in my life, I just want you to know, don't really want you to hang out for very long. I just want a little bit of you so that um, I could say that I'm a Christian and also so that I can, you know, maybe like, yeah, feel good about myself. But at the end of the day, I honestly don't want you. I'm far too selfish. I want to do what I want. 
I just can't do this by myself. So can you just do some stuff and then go away? Jesus is no one's housekeeper only. See, the thing is, if he, if you want him to be your housekeeper, then he actually says something. He's like, you know, I'll come into your house. I'll, I'll, I will do the cleaning that needs to be done that you cannot do. But I also want to live here. Can I live here? Well, do you want to live here after you clean up? Jesus is like, no, can I live here while I clean up? That's what Jesus is asking every person. That's the invitation to become a Christian. Jesus is like, I'm okay with your mess. I'm not okay that it is what it is. I'm okay that you've asked me to come in and clean it. I'm not ashamed. I'm not like, oh, what a horrible life Jim has lived. Jim, clean yourself up and then I'll come, then I'll come live in your house. Jesus says, let me into your mess. Invite me in. Open the door and you let me in. See, because the demons, they're just going to kick the door and just come in. Jesus will never kick the door in on anybody in this world. He will never force anybody to be a Christian. Jesus will knock. And then if you choose, you open the door for him to come in. And it doesn't matter how much of a train wreck garbage dump your house looks like. He's okay with cleaning it up. And then he'll live there as he cleans it up. How long will that take? Your whole life. That's how much he loves us. Jesus is speaking to people whose hearts are so hard right now. They can't even see it. Like the, the religious leaders at the time, they thought that they had it all figured out. You know, verse 45, when it said that, you know, seven more spirits are going to come, they're going to enter and dwell. Enter and dwell, it's like this occupation. It's like um, a home invasion. Like I'm going to come in and I've invited all of my friends to come with me who are, by the way, they're worse than me. You thought I was bad? <laughs> Meet my seven friends. And they come in and they trash the house. They kick in the walls. They overturn the furniture. They set fire to things. That's the kind of people, that's the kind of personality that these demons have. And I'll say it again, where Jesus doesn't live, demons are free to live. So if Jesus doesn't live in a person, demons have absolute free access to live in a person. Oh, come on. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Here's what the demons do. This is what it practically looks like. The demons then come in and they go, you're such a smart person. You got it all figured out. And the demons help the person justify whatever sin they want. Ah, those drugs are fine. It's fine. It's not a problem. Oh, that elite, you're not an alcoholic on the side of the road. You're fine. You're just, you can have a couple extra drinks here or there. Ah, oh, pornography. Who cares about that? You know, God made people without clothes anyway in Genesis, so it doesn't matter. Who do you think is helping to fuel that fire of justification? It's demonic. Of course, the best part of the, about the demonic is for them to hide themselves and go, oh, no, no, it's not us. We're not here. <laughs> sucker what a sucker kick that wall in one more time yeah look at him you know then the person says i'm doing great i'm a good person i'm a good person i'm i'm such a good person and then that person actually ends up worse than they began because now they're like well i'm off of drugs now or alcohol or you know it's just we're good i'm i'm good i it was my first three marriages. It was everybody I married, but it wasn't me. It's fine. I'm, I'm fine. I married another time. It'll be great. Four times the charm. That's not the statement, but you know what it is, right? So then the demon of pride or self-righteousness or self-sufficiency decides to join and be like, you know what? You are better than most people in this world, so you're just fine. Give yourself a pat on the back. 
And the person without Christ goes, I am a good person. I am better than most. It's not hard to find people that you think you're better than. But you know who's encouraging you to do that? The demons. I'm going to say this statement, and I do want you to think about this as I say this. You know, I don't think the worst condition a person can be is to be a a drunk, continual, perpetual alcoholic, or a sex addict, or something like that. I don't think that's the worst condition. I think the worst condition, a a condition that's worse than that, is to be a self-righteous, smug, self-sufficient hypocrite who claims to be a Christian. I think that person is far worse than the obvious person who says, I know, burn, right? That's pretty... Let me say it one more time. It's worse to be a self-righteous, smug, self-sufficient hypocrite who pretends to be a Christian than a person who just obviously is like, I'm not not doing what's right. I'm messed up. There's more hope for the person who admits honestly, I'm messed up and I can't fix myself than the person that's like, I'm good. I am good. I'm better than most. Probably you. Those are the hardest people to reach for Jesus. You don't believe me? Look who Jesus is talking to right now. The Pharisees. They were those guys. They were the ones who were like, man, look at these sinners. Look at all these people. We are so much better than them. Self-righteous, smug, self-sufficient hypocrites is who they were. And so, you know, this, this, I don't want to teach here or at this church, we don't want to preach good morals or good biblical behavior only. Wait, Jim, I don't understand. Well, you don't want to teach about good morals? You don't want to, be to teach about good Christian behavior? I don't want to do that apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, what you do is you're training up Pharisees. Because you're training people to look really good on the outside, say the right Christianese phrases, and uh, God bless you, brother, and all this other stuff. And But yet inside, they are trashed. It's absolutely chaos within them. It's easier to preach Jesus to a person who's overwhelmed by their guilt and sin. It's, it's actually really easy. Because that person is ready. They're just one invitation away from going, I know I messed up. I know I need help. And then they hear that Jesus wants to help them. They're like, I need Jesus. The person that's overwhelmed by their own self-righteousness and self-sufficiency, that person, yeah, that's good. The gospel's good for other people, but I'm good. I'm good. I I don't need that anymore. You know, we think about this too. Like we live in America. And so we have to be so aware that this self-sufficiency, self-righteous attitude is so easy to come across here in our country. What if I told you this? What if I told you this idea like, you know, hey, you know, our church, we want to be praying for missions. Yeah, missions. Missions is going to be great. Can't wait for us to go. And, you know, there's so many places in the world that need to hear about Jesus. And is that true? Yes, that is true. But what if I go, oh, no, 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 hold on, time out, wait. What we're going to do is, let's pray that God brings people from other countries to be missionaries to the United States. If at that point you're like, oh wait, uh, no, no, we're good. No, no, you don't understand. We're Americans. We send people, we are fine. We go help other people who aren't fine. Pride, self-sufficiency, self-righteousness. And you're wrong. America needs missionaries. God, bring missionaries to America. Otherwise, we're going to end up like Pharisees. Are you beyond help coming your way? 
Are you beyond? Oh, no, I'm here to help other people, but no, I don't want people to help me. Careful. Careful. I can fix myself. I can fix what I broke. I can fix the situation. We need to speak this message to the generation that we live in, the message of the gospel and not the message of the Pharisees. What's the message of the Pharisees? Keep the rules, be a good person, and you'll be fine. Oh, just be moral. Just be honest. Just be upright. You can be moral, honest, and upright and go to hell because you have no relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, there's this quote by Alistair Begg. Whenever the spirit of a Pharisee invades a congregation, you have a congregation, a church, a fellowship that has forgotten that all they are, all they have, and all they may offer is a result of the grace of God. All we are, all we have, and all we have to offer people, it doesn't come from us. It comes from the fact that God is so gracious to us. That's it. That's it. Well, we kind of did some of the... Stop. Shut your mouth right now. It's the grace of God working through people. But let's not forget that it's God that does it. And is it easy for the spirit? Of, oh, the Pharisees died out back in Jesus's time. There's no Pharisees in our day and age. Oh boy. Those that speak the religious talk, look the religious look, but within their hearts have no relationship with Christ. We must be discerning when it comes to those kind of things. You know, the job here at the church, for us as Christians, our responsibility is not to reform our culture or make it more moral. Wait a second. What's wrong with, you know, changing the culture or teaching morality? No, in and of itself, no, there's nothing wrong with that, but don't make that your primary purpose. That is not our primary purpose. We are here to encourage godly behavior, for sure, but that's not our primary purpose. Our primary purpose is to tell people that the only way that there can be a transformation in your life is if you have a relationship with Jesus. If you leave Jesus out and you talk about moral stories and good examples and all this other stuff, but you haven't talked about Jesus, then how do you know you're not training up the next generation of Pharisees? They had all the other stuff, but they didn't have Jesus. The message here at Telios is Jesus Christ and him crucified. We're going to talk about him. I'm not going to talk about moral education, positive thinking, or any other thing like that. I'm not here to have people's houses get cleaned up while it's being trashed because Jesus doesn't live in it. The cleaning of the house will take care of itself once Jesus lives within the house and it'll be a process. But don't try to do the house cleaning first and not have Jesus be the one who is living in the house. You know, there is no substitute for preaching Jesus. There's no substitute I'm thankful for the churches in our community here who preach Jesus, and I'm heartbroken for the churches in our community here that do not preach Jesus. Because if you do not preach Jesus, you are just a step away from raising up a generation of Pharisees who look really good on Sundays and who have all the right things to say but are not saved, do not have Christ in their heart. Don't you be one of those people. Again, this morning's message is not to make somebody doubt their salvation. This morning's message is to make a person who's been playing Christian from, to realize that they aren't Christian at all. And you know, you may go, well, Pastor Jim, like, come on, like, you start to do this, people will start to doubt their salvation. No, no, no. You do realize people come to our church every week that maybe haven't been in church for a while. So this message that I'm giving now, you'll probably hear versions of it as the years go on as long as I'm here. 
as long as Pastor Joe's here, as long as the word is being taught here. Why? Because somebody may walk into our fellowship and just go, all right, here I am with a whole bunch of other Christians. Look at us all looking religious. And then they hear the message, something like this, and they go, wait, based on those criteria that you just gave, I'm not a Christian. That's why we're telling you. If we love people, if we say you are loved, then that means we're actually going to tell you the truth. And what better way than to just read you the words that Jesus said to people right in front of him? Um, you know, moral behavior won't save you. And Jesus had this to say to the Pharisees multiple times here. Matthew 21, this will be on your screen here. Matthew 21, verse 31 and 32 Jesus had told a story of two people, one who told the dad, hey, I'll do something and then didn't do it. And another one who said, I won't do it, dad, and did do it. So then Jesus asked the Pharisees a question, which of the two did the will of his father? And they said the first, the person who said they wouldn't at first, but then actually did what dad told him to do. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Who is he talking to? The Pharisees. How do you think they felt about that? And then Jesus went on for John came to you in the way of righteousness and you didn't believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterwards change your mind and believe him. Jesus is talking about their hardness of heart. And maybe for the Pharisees, they were just like, oh, if tax collectors and prostitutes are doing that, I'm so above that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Jesus calls them out on it. Decency. Goodness and morality will never be a substitute for a right relationship with Jesus. I'm decent. I'm good. I'm moral. That will never be a substitute for a relationship with Jesus. Jesus said it again in Matthew 23, later on in Matthew, Matthew 23, 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. In other words, to make a follower of you. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Whoa! Whoa! Jesus is saying, wow, you're bad enough, but the people that you train up in your ways are worse than you are. And generationally, he's like, it's getting worse. This is why we're not here to talk about good behavior. We're here to talk about a relationship with Jesus because I don't want you to become a Pharisee. I don't want you to be taught and to be encouraged to not trust in Jesus wholeheartedly. Um, in Matthew 23, again, 27 and 28, while he's continuing to talk to these Pharisees, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which are outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you are out, so outwardly, you appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. If you get to go to Israel, you would uh, see this image. It's an image of these whitewashed tombs. The, the Temple Mount and the Eastern Gate is that, that wall over there, the Eastern Gate's over there, the Temple Mount's on the top there. But um, right here, these boxes, look, these really nice ordered boxes. They're nice and white. Those are whitewashed sepulchers. They hold bones, dead bones. Nice on the outside, dead on the inside. Jesus compared the Pharisees to those boxes. Oh, you look so good. So religious. I don't have the quote here. I'm just trying to going off the top of my head here. But it was this person that said, um, how would you tell a Pharisee, you know, today? 
They would attend every church service. They would serve at church. They would be going to hell. See, I think we just need to realize how huge this is. And if you're a person that is good at faking, here's the thing. You start faking for a while, you get really good at faking, and then you fake yourself out and you don't even realize how far you've come. Meanwhile, your house is getting wrecked on the inside and you're worse off than when you first started. Every Pharisee had their opportunity to soften their hearts. Please keep this in mind. When Jesus showed up to them, oh, he's just condemning them and they're done. No, any one of them could have heard the words of God in the flesh and said, you know what? You're right. You're absolutely right, Jesus. I am a fake. But you know what they'd have to do? They'd have to expose themselves and the truth would have to come out. And by and large, what we saw with the Pharisees in the Bible is they were like, no, I, I actually know what he's saying is true, but I'm never going to admit it because I'm going to lose my prestige and my position and my power. People are going to think less of me. So I think I'll just live the rest of my life out as a liar. I want to encourage you, if you find yourself in that place, there's always time for you to come to Jesus. I've been a Pharisee so long in my life, I can't turn now. You sure can. And let me give you a story to encourage you. It was late one night, and this person had heard Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. And he had heard these words that Jesus had said. And the reason why he heard these words is because he himself was a Pharisee. And he was moved by the words of Jesus. But he wasn't bold enough to say it right there with his other Pharisee friends. So he decided to meet Jesus late one night. It's in John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, He cannot see the kingdom of God. I hope the story of Nicodemus gives you hope. It doesn't matter how long a person has been in a certain way of thinking wrongly. Jesus is always available for you. As long as you have breath in your lungs, you can ask Jesus to come into your house, even if it looks like that trashed house that we just saw earlier. At home in New York, um, we had this picture, and I think we've had this picture as long as I've been alive. And it's this this picture by Walter Salomon. It's called Christ at Heart's Door. Maybe you've seen it. Maybe you own this picture. And I just remember it's right by our front door. And I just remember I'd be sitting in our living room and I'd just be looking at that picture. And yeah, the, the name of this is Christ at Heart's Door by Walter Salomon. And remember, Jesus is a gentleman. He'll knock. He'll go down the street and he'll knock as well on the doors. But then the person has an opportunity to let Jesus in. And sometimes it's that idea like, you know, somebody's like, you, you know, somebody rings the doorbell and you're going, who is it? And then you wonder yourself, do we hide for just a second or do we go to the door? Like, is it, oh no, how is the house? Ah, Jesus doesn't care what the house looks like on the inside. He doesn't. He's not intimidated by it. It's not like, you know, you open the door and you're like, oh, hi, Jesus. And like, he can see like it's an absolute train wreck. It's like on fire behind you. It's a trash dump behind you. Jesus is like, hey, I was just wondering, can I come in? Well, you have a choice. Well, you know, it's really messed up. Let me clean up some stuff first and then I'll let you. You can't clean yourself up. You can't fix yourself. That's why Jesus is knocking. 
You don't go to a hospital and then go, oh man, I don't want to really inconvenience those doctors and nurses with having to like heal me. So uh, let me just hang out here in the parking lot and heal myself. And then I'll limp into the hospital when I'm better. Then you don't need to go to a hospital. A hospital is there for people who need help. Jesus is here for people who realize they are, they're dead in their trespasses and sins, that they need a savior. For the pride and arrogant person, they won't open the door to Jesus because they're fine as their house is on fire inside. So as Jesus knocks on the door of hearts, maybe today he's knocking on your door. Keep this in mind. If you're a believer, you're a believer. But if you're not a believer, you're not a believer. And that can change right now. Two more very short verses. You'll see it here. John 3, 7, further in that chapter with Nicodemus. Jesus told Nicodemus, hey, so don't be surprised when I say to you, you must be born again. I mean, Nicodemus was a teacher of the law. He was a ruler of the Jews. Like he was looked up to and he had to come at night. He came at night to Jesus and Jesus said, listen, don't be surprised when I say you need to be born again. You need to be reborn. Well, can can you just give me a fixer upper kit? Can you just give me something like maybe, you know, some screws and a screwdriver or something and some new paint? Jesus is like, no, you don't need a new coat of paint. You need to be rebuilt. You need to be reborn. You need to be born from above. And what about being born from above is also important. Mark chapter 10, verse 15, Jesus speaking again, I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Like a child? What's a child like? A child realizes their neediness and cries out to their parent for help. I can't do it. Mom, mom, dad, dad. Actually, let's be honest. Mom, 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 help, 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 help. Jesus says here that if you don't call out to God like that, you're never going to get into heaven. Because if you just go, God, uh, if you have time, I mean, I kind of got it, but if you got time, I could just use you for like five minutes. Sorry, that's not what God's calling for. He's calling for a brokenness and a neediness where you just, you're just honest with your neediness and you just go, I can't do this. Please, I need your help. And you know, at that point, the doors of heaven just open up for you. Why? Because Jesus comes into your house. If I'm going to leave you with a thought, this is a thought. An empty heart, an empty house is not the solution to sin. I've cleaned myself out. I'm good. That's not the solution to sin. A heart filled with Jesus is the solution to sin. You need Jesus. We all do. Let's bow our heads. The worship team's going to come on up. If you're a believer, then please be praying for those that aren't. Both those in here, those listening on the radio and the internet, your neighbors, your friends, your family. If you're not a believer, though, Jesus loves you so much that he came. He made sure his words were written down. He made sure that you would hear them this morning because he doesn't want you to leave this life without him. He doesn't want you to live this life as a fake. As a person who is lying to themselves and lying to everyone around you're a person here this morning that you realize you're not a believer you're not a christian you may be good and moral and honest but you're not saved and you realize your house is getting trashed that it's getting worse then jesus is available for you jesus said i stand at the door and knock and whoever opens the door i will come in with him and dine with him and he with me. Jesus wants to share a meal with you in your house. He wants to spend your whole life together with him. He wants 
He wants you. He loves you that much. But you have to open the door yourself. Will you humble yourself this morning? If you find yourself in that place, honest assessment of yourself, that's where you're at, and you want Jesus. He wants you. we got our heads bowed, our eyes closed. Just raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you at all. I just want to see if there's anyone in here this morning. Is there anyone? I see your hand. Is there anyone else? Oh, Father, thank you so much for this dear lady, Lord. You just love her so much. You've always loved her. God, I also pray for those that we can't see with our eyes right now because they're listening on the radio or the internet or they'll hear this in the future at some point in time. God, thank you that you love them so much. Father, we pray for those who are opening the door to you, who are inviting you to come into the wreck of their house, and you're not at all taken aback by it. In fact, you've already started the work of cleaning. Father, I pray for our dear sister here. If you'd like to accept Jesus in your heart, all you have to do is pray a prayer, something like this, to Jesus. He's listening. He loves you. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I can't fix myself. Jesus, help me. Jesus, I believe that you came here to die on a cross and pay for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe you rose again from the dead. And Jesus, I believe that I will see you one day face to face. Jesus, thank you for forgiving me of all of my sins, past, present, and future. Jesus, thank you for freeing me up to love you and to love people. Jesus, help me to be a light for you and help me to spread the truth of your great love with the people around me. Jesus, help me to walk in your ways from this day forward until I see you face to face. Jesus, my heart is your home. Thank you for coming in. Please make yourself at home. I love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hey, listen, if you ask Jesus into your heart, I'd like to ask you to do something. There'll be a few folks standing over here. Just come over, let somebody know. They just want to just praise the Lord, shake your hand, give you a hug, say God bless you. If you'd like prayer for anything anything else, there'll be a few of us standing over here. We'd love to pray with you. Let your light shine and continue to pray for Pharisees because know this, Jesus loves Pharisees because if he didn't, he would never have said a single word to them. He loves them so much and so should we. Love them, speak the truth into their lives.